Talk United is a conversation series that brings people together to discuss challenges and solutions in the community. Um, and we are so excited that the first in this series is hosted by Young Leaders. I'm actually going to bring up Sam Smith now, who is the chair of the Young Leaders Council. And he's going to say a few words before we get started. Now, my voice is pretty deep, so if I'm too loud, let me know. This time, I'd like to introduce our speakers, um, City Councilman Tart Bakari and Larkin Eggleston, who host Eggleston, who host a weekly podcast called R&D in the QC, where they discuss current local issues from both sides of the ballot. So at this time, I'll turn it over to our panelists. Good evening, everybody. A good evening. So keep in mind, we are recording this, and this will be an episode of R&D in the QC. I think number 39. 39 sounds right, Larkin. All right, so you're going to be a part of history. This will be uh, archived forever, probably going to the Library of Congress one day. Uh, as Tarek tells this story over the years, and, and even probably later tonight and tomorrow, he will say there were thousands of people here. <laughs> to hear me. Um but we are appreciative of those of you who are here, and we do, for anybody who's listening to this later on, have a good crowd. Tark just likes, every time we've ever done a live audience episode, whether it's 27 people or it's 270 people and we've had everything in between, he always refers to it as thousands of people. It's the Republican thing to do. <laughs> That's good self-awareness, actually. Um, so if you were wondering, I, he is the R, I am the D. Uh, Tark. Tarek Bakari, the Republican. Huge D. <laughs> I kind of teed that one up. All right, so we are actually in my district. Tarek and I are both first-term council members on Charlotte City Council. I thought I felt weird. Uh, district 1. We are in District 1. We are in NoDOT, the NoDOT company, score, company store. Uh, Joey and Scott's brainchild. And this place is awesome. Uh, how many of you have been here before? About about a third of the folks. This How many of you love uh, my favorite local beer, uh, either Hop, Drop, and Roll, or uh, what's the other one I like, Larkin? <laughs> it's your favorite <laughs> beer, and you don't know what it is? J Jam Session. Anybody fans of that? Three people. Great, great All right, Susie, Todd, we, at No Dot Brewing, we love you. Um, so we appreciate you being here. We want to talk tonight a little bit about there might be a, a varying level of knowledge around what Charlotte City Council does, uh, around the focuses of this Charlotte City Council. As many of you probably know, there was a, a very big change on Charlotte City Council in the 2017 election. In 2015, there are, if, you, if you're not sure, there are 11 members of Charlotte City Council, and the council is led by a mayor, so 12 people total. Of those 12 people, after the 2015 election, there were zero of them that were under the age of 40. Uh, we'll, we'll say to our listeners, uh, listening audience, most of this crowd that's here with us tonight is under 40. And a lot of this city is under 40. There are about 60 people a day moving to Charlotte, and we are one of the fastest growing millennial markets in the country. And yet, for all the diversity we had in skin color and gender and background on Charlotte City Council, which is very important, we didn't have diversity of age. And a large segment of our population, partly because our segment of the population isn't great about voting, wasn't represented on Charlotte City Council. In 2017, six out of the 11 council members that were elected, including the two of us, were under the age of 40. 
huge seismic shift in the makeup of Charlotte City Council that was really unique um, for anywhere in the country. And in fact, it was so unique, we were uh, probably the most humbling moment of our, our careers so far on Charlotte City Council. It was a front page story on the Wall Street Journal in March that they talked about this shift that happened on, on City Council. So as you might imagine, with that comes a, a big shift in priorities and focus and in the way that we conduct business. And one of the things that uh, Tarek and I brainstormed early on was we want to think of new ways to connect with people and engage them in local government. Our colleague Braxton Winston does a lot with Facebook Live. Um, all of us use social media pretty prolifically. But Tarek had done through his professional, his, his day job, if you will, because uh, keep in mind city council is technically... <laughs> technically part-time not sure why he had air quotes around my day job well <laughs> the thing i don't feel like do. he ever does it but um he had done another podcast and so he had the experience with a podcast and it has been it has exceeded our expectations as a way to connect with people how many downloads do we have so far larkin well you're the one who keeps track of that but last time you told me it was around twenty-three thousand. i think that's big time guys <laughs> it's big news pod save and America, the crowd goes who? wild I'd, yeah you know, yeah. the other seismic shift that happened since 2015 is, if you can believe this, there were only two Republicans then. And now, guess what? Still two. Two. There's still two. <laughs> Which some might say is too many. Um, but home, home crowd, I hear. Yeah, well, we're, we're in my district. This is, this is going to be, uh, yeah, probably leaning more in my direction. Wait till they hear you talk. Well... Despite uh, the first couple minutes of this conversation, the idea of this podcast is to have a civil conversation around city issues. We don't deal with a lot of the stuff that the state does and the, and the federal government does that people just get like blind rage in their hearts when they discuss it. So we ought not to be as partisan a body, and we're not. Um, there, if you ever watch a city council meeting, which I don't recommend, uh, you can just get the recap on our podcast there's actually very odd bedfellows on, on a lot of different votes we take. And so it's not just Republicans vote one way and Democrats vote another. Um, and we felt like there was an opportunity to have a discussion where people, regardless of whether they're Republicans or Democrats, could hear both sides of an issue and make up their own mind uh, without us having to raise our voices or without us having to take personal attacks at each other. And it's been really cool. We've had uh, three members of Congress on. We've had the former mayor of Houston on. We've had our mayor on several times as well as all of our colleagues on city council. And it's uh, just this week for something we're going to put out right before the election. We interviewed the chair of both state party organizations, the state Republican Party, the state Democratic Party, to get their take on some of the statewide ballot initiatives. So it's it's been an incredible opportunity for us to engage with with both folks who are also in elected office um, and policy leaders and, and thought leaders in our community, but also to engage with our citizens. And so we're really glad to be here with you guys tonight. So Larkin, uh, what do you want to talk about? You want to talk about some, uh, you want to get into some meaty issues? We can. And, and keep in mind, we're going to to leave the last, uh, we've got a very special guest that was mentioned earlier. We're going to bring her up, have her talk about all the great stuff she's doing in our community. We're also going to leave time for questions at the end, so be brainstorming on those. Um, one thing that's worth talking about, Tark, can, can maybe give you the overview of the committees within the city council, which will give you an idea of the purview of, of our work, and then we can dive into any of those that you might see fit. Thanks, Larkin. He's teed me up like this before. He, he likes to see if I can I like to see if he can name all the committees. All the um, so there's economic development there. We we're dealing with, you know, business opportunities, workforce development, huge, uh, factor in upward mobility. Obviously, um, if you've been following the news at all, you'd know that, um, 
one, this is the the group that goes through and kind of has first first stab at, at deals like either Amazon HQ2, which not so much in that case, or the Amazon's new uh, distribution center that we did actually get. Also, Eastland Mall, huge topic. We've spent a, a, an immense amount of time on trying to kind of salvage a situation that we honestly put ourselves in over the last decade or so. Um, but uh, that's that's a really important one, one of my favorites. The other one that I'm, I, I'm super passionate about is uh, is public safety. And um, I actually sit on this, this committee. Uh, so does Braxton Winston, colleague that Larkin mentioned. And he and I have had some amazing debates and discussions around police support versus police accountability, which is, and you hear, hear that background music coming in right on cue. <laughs> I never really do anything without a little background music. Um, but uh, I mean, this is one where Braxton, uh, you know, was came came to power, came to be from his role in the 2016 Keith Lamont Scott protests, and um, and we have been able to do so much uh, around the, the 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 topics of, you know, can you both support police and hold them accountable in your perspectives? Because so often people go on one side of the aisle or another and the reason i mention this in more depth is today we launched the first in a series he and i where we we brought three people each he picked three and i picked three and we brought them around one table and we said you guys have a discussion that normally you only have in your echo chambers and and uh the results were, were really incredible we'll be sharing that soon so public safety is another big one i'll rapid fire transportation and planning this is where larkin gets to ban scooters um <laughs> There is um, uh, budget committee, which is also now budget and accountability. I'm on that one. Big fan of the budget um, and, uh, and how we continually raise taxes there. Um, let's see. Next comes housing and neighborhood development hand. I'm assuming we're going to spend some time right now talking about affordable housing, which is uh, uh, unarguably the theme of this year's council. I didn't come into council um, uh, kind of campaigning on that topic. But I certainly have learned so much about it in the last year, and I'm, I'm actually I'm passionate about it now. And I'm hoping more people learn about the details and become passionate about it. And um, two there's two left. Man, Larkin, come well, on. One, one of them you and I are the co-chair of. One and, yeah, yeah. So we, we – they it's a great point. Um, after uh, a while of this committee being disbanded for many reasons, uh, some political, some practical – uh, Mayor Vilyles chose Larkin and I, of all people, to co-chair the Intergovernmental Relations Larkin Committee. Larkin and me. Can everyone understand like my plight, like the, f like what I go through? This guy, like on social media, con I cannot punctuate something wrong without. Oh, it's a semicolon. Um, he's a terrible human being. Um, so that's where we deal with another massive challenge that's plagued the city for several years now, the relations between Charlotte and Raleigh and Charlotte and the capital. And um, while uh, we like to look forward, not back, you have to look back to understand the complexities to do that, that committee and that job correctly. And he and I have just, we've, the, the podcast that you're experiencing now, and hopefully one or two of you listen to regularly, which is the normal stats there, uh, we take that approach to... Um, to how we actually do do that committee and it feels very much like that and we have a great time and the final committee is the thing i care least about folks environment <laughs> i'm just kidding i like the environment um but i remembered them all and the environment is where we do things like trees and 
saving them and air and oxygens. As you can tell, Tark does not serve on the environment committee. But I have never missed a meeting. Um, so that's the purview Got of you. the Charlotte City Council. Last time he couldn't. Ah. Last time he couldn't do that. So eh, whatever. It's, he's, that he's was in the better. morning. Um, but there's a lot of things I think that this new council, not only in the way that we communicate with our constituents, the way that we work with city staff, but I, there's a lot of innovative ideas. I mean, Tark's uh, kind of at the forefront professionally on fintech, which is an emerging industry in this country and in this so community. Hot right now. Today, was it today or so yesterday? Hot. What was the... Charlotte is now ranked number one in the nation in the new rankings of tech towns, above Silicon Valley, above Chicago, above New York, above Austin, above Raleigh, our old nemesis, but really our friend. Um, that's, I mean, that, that was yesterday's news, and literally the tech nerd scene is, is just losing their mind. We're losing our mind right now. Uh, I was going to say I was surprised you, you weren't understand? including yourself in that. But, uh, yes. I mean, that's the kind of thing. Uh, today, I, my background is in the hospitality and food and beverage industry, and today, uh, something I've been working on with the city for a couple of months, we launched a green restaurant, sustainable restaurant initiative that will certify restaurants in our community that are being proactive in having sustainable, environmentally friendly, friendly practices. So, again, I, I think that we wouldn't want a city council. Which, by the way, is super cool. Uh, uh, you know, as nerdy as fintech is, Larkin's food fetishes are also super nerdy. But this one, imagine a world where you walk into a restaurant you love, and not only do you now glance up at the sign that says, oh, 62 uh, health rating. <laughs> I don't know. You also look up and see a plaque that says they're part of this new initiative there. That's another another way for us to promote those doing things that, that, are, that are good for the... Uh, to be eligible, your restaurant has to have at least a 90 on your health score. Um. <laughs> you know, let's debate that because I think 70 is still a passing grade in my book. Is that, is that a no from the maybe crowd? At, maybe at Radford it was. At, at Appalachian <laughs> State it wasn't good enough. Yeah, you guys were super high the whole time at App State. Uh, no one knew what they were talking about. Um, I'm not sure we're going to be able to use this episode. <laughs> but I think we, we wouldn't want a city council that is all made up of people under 40. We need people with the institutional knowledge. We need people with the experience. Old people, while dangerous behind the wheel, serve a very valuable purpose in this community. Don't forget it. But I think... I think we're already demonstrating, uh, along with our, our newly elected colleagues, that bringing new ideas, new energy, and a different generational perspective is valuable for the city. And again, particularly for a city that is one of the top cities in the country for attracting millennials, uh, trying to attract tech talent. The number one. Yeah. So we are one of the fastest growing cities flat out, but then also specifically with millennials. And, and we need to have those voices at the table. So. I think that actually leads in pretty well to talk about what I assume you guys are aware of, which is in 13 days, we have an election. Everybody knew that, right? Yeah. All right, so who here, by a show of hands, is registered at their current address to vote? No one's going to say they're not. I don't believe you. Um, I don't believe who here you. has already early voted? I don't right, believe like, you. Like 30, 30, 40%. Show me the sticker. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> You early voted today. The sticker, they need to make the sticker have like more sticky so you can wear it for like three straight weeks. Because I would rock it for three straight weeks. Um, I second that motion. But, yeah, they fall off like before the day is over. Uh, sorry, stickers. But it's really important. So we're not on the ballot this year. We run every two years in the odd year elections. But this year, as I hope everybody is well aware, we've got everything from the state Supreme Court to the state Court of Appeals 
um, Superior Court, District Court. We've got six constitutional amendments to our state uh, constitution. We've got three local bonds here that we'll definitely uh, unpack a little bit before our next segment. But then also your county commission, your soil and water, your state house and senate, your United States Congress representative. And depending on where you live in Charlotte, that's one of of two people right now and and the one who represents southeast Charlotte and some other counties heading down towards Fayetteville is going to change. It's just a matter of who it's going to be. All of these are critically important, and, and in a lot of them, you have very stark contrasts in the character. In, in, <laughs> they are characters. I was going to say in the candidates that you, you have to choose from. So um, the main thing we've been trying to harp on and not getting too partisan in discussions around the selection is just educate yourself on your options. Um, Vote411.org is a really awesome website that's nonpartisan and gives you just kind of bullet point information on candidate stances on issues. It will help break down some of the things that are going to be on on your ballot. Um, But the city, the thing that we were very specifically involved in was the bonds that you'll see. And they are all the way at the end of your ballot, and your ballot is long this year. Today is what day? Wednesday? Today's Wednesday of this week, whatever week this is. How many of you saw – I mean – there has been a new stir that's been created today. How many of you saw the Charlotte Agenda article today? The rest of you who don't know what we're talking Good. about. Good. Only seven people. I, I, like I have that. a feeling you will in the coming days because you, those of you who read it know it's it, one, the agenda has a large younger readership and An base. Agenda. And, um, two, and, and two, they, they I mean, I totally agree, and this is where we're going to ultimately go in, the, in probably this this discussion right now. I, I totally have gotten behind and support the bonds, and I'm still supporting them, but I've had the concern that uh, Andrew Dunn in, in, the, uh, uh, in the agenda laid out today, and it is we don't have a hard set plan. We've got a bunch of kind of strategies and we've so got for, the, bu- for everyone but the seven yeah, who read go it ahead. no for everyone but the seven who read it he's talking yep. specifically about the affordable housing bond of 50 million dollars this is why larkin and i work well together like i start at the end and he's like well let's give you a little bit of the detail why don't you give him the overview there are three bonds that are going to be on your ballot uh that we put forward as a city council one is for neighborhood improvements one is for streets one is for affordable housing the one that's getting the most discussion and dialogue around it is the affordable housing bond because it's what a majority of this council ran on. It's what a majority of Charlotte citizens have said is the highest priority in this community. And historically, the city council has only put forward a $15 million affordable housing bond every two years. We have more than tripled that. And because we know that the need is so much is so much greater than what $15 million could, could ever accomplish. So with that context, that is what Tark's talking so about. So let's have a little mini debate right now because you and I are kind of on opposite sides here, which is we both agree that there's a problem. A we crisis. also both agree that you should vote yes on the bonds. At this point, I still am making that statement. But I have made the statement for months now that's fallen on deaf ears, including you, I guess, to some extent. You've agreed with me on some fronts. but you I tune you out on most everything. Yeah, but at the who here has started a business, raised capital, or been part of one of those things? So for those of you who raised your hand, tell me if this is acceptable in the private sector. Can you go launch your startup or request two, five, ten, twenty million dollars in capital, whatever it is, and say, well, I don't have a business plan or a pro forma, but what I do have is a framework and a policy that I will then go about using that fifty million dollars to really make sure that we do the most good based on what I'm going to do. I don't see a lot of head nods out there. Okay, so all I'm saying is the, the, 
there is value to putting a a hard set business plan and pro forma in place that says, hey, guess what? In the past, we've taken a similar amount of money or half. They've never had this much money. We've never had this much money. And we've accomplished X number of units. And if you've read the articles today, you'll see a lot of those units, AMI is a term we use a lot, area median, median income. It really defines how much you make and how much you can afford to pay in rent before it crushes you. So 80% and below is kind of defined in the area that we're, that we're dealing with. The problem here is the city in the past has taken these millions of dollars and attacked the problem and said, look at this, mission accomplished, George Bush banner in the backdrop, right? And in reality, the vast majority of those units by the developers who get that money to then lock in these units are between 50 and 80% AMI. And guess where the crisis is, folks? It's under 30% AMI. It's the near homeless folks. And we, it, this is debated, and I'll tell you that there are multiple ways to look at it, but I firmly believe, based on the data I've seen, there's actually a, a 19,000 unit surplus in Charlotte between the areas of 50 and 80% AMI right now. That doesn't mean they're all open and available. That just means there's 19,000 more units than people that make the amount of money that can pay for those units here. And it doesn't mean that there's not people who make more than that that are trading that are trading down Absolutely. to live more within their means and then gobbling up those units and then someone who needs it can't but get But if into. I was going to ask you to reach in your pockets, your pockets, and let us have $50 million to go attack this problem. And then I told you, well, I'm not going to tell you how many units I'm going to build. I'm not going to commit to what AMI percentage they're going to be at. And I'm not going to commit to anything else you would see in a business plan and pro forma, but I'm going to spend that $50 million. What makes you believe that the results aren't going to be the same as the last several cycles? That's my problem. I want to support this. The need is there. But at some point, you got to sit back and say, you know what? You got to punish the people that aren't. Nobody wants to sign up for a number. I tell you that as someone who started businesses and raised guys, I want to just do it. But that isn't the way the world works. You have to be able to measure me in some way. And if you are not held accountable, even if there are assumptions, things you don't know, you make those assumptions in your business plan. You say, well, these things might change, but here's where I'm going and measure me in two years. Beat that, dude, because you can't. Supporting any of these three bonds will not raise your taxes, first of all. That's a relevant fact. Yeah, they raise your taxes uh, for other reasons. This will not have an impact on your taxes, whether it's approved or, or, or not. But we work with a lot of partners on this effort to build this housing, to, to put roofs over people's heads. One of the things, there was also an Observer article that I think spawned this agenda article. One of the things that was referenced there was almost criticizing us for putting some of these housing trust fund dollars towards um, shelters which is obviously not permanent housing, but it's part of a housing solution that gives people a ladder. And if you're homeless, we're not going to put you straight into a mortgage, right? There is a ladder. People have to have steps. And one of those steps for someone who is on the streets is to go into a shelter and have somebody with wraparound services that can help them get into housing, help them fight their addictions, help them do whatever they need to do. That is part of a housing strategy. So the criticism on that I thought was completely unfounded and, and, frustrating but we've got a problem to that is of the magnitude that he described the idea that you elect us every two years you can get rid of us every two years my thought is if we have this problem that we know is potentially in its entirety a billion dollar problem with a b if we don't do something now if we say no for the next two years we have zero dollars 
to spend on tackling this problem, I can I can tell you with great certainty how much of the problem will get tackled, and it will get bigger because, like I just said, we have 60 people a day moving here. Now, they're probably not all low-income people, but they're moving into 13% houses. 13% of them are estimated to be in the under 80% AMI category of the 60-some that are moving here. And 80% AMI, we're talking about teachers, nurses. That's the kind of income level you're, you're looking at, 80% AMI. They're moving in. They're buying up naturally occurring affordable housing, tearing it down and building a big house. That's happening in my neighborhood of Plaza Midwood. I'm seeing head nods. That's happening in a lot of neighborhoods you live in. The cost of housing is going to continue to rise. If we don't lock in affordable housing with long-term 10, 15, 20-year deed restrictions, we are going to continue to get further and further behind. So what I would say is you you should approve this bond, and you should then hold us accountable in every decision we make. Most of the decisions that have been referenced in the articles criticizing what city council has done with these trust fund dollars were not made by this council. They were made by people who are no longer on so city why, council. May, yeah, guess what? And they're voted out. And maybe it wasn't exactly because of that. I don't think that, that's why. why we, the new millennial wave of generation that's in here, why can't we jump in here and do something different for once, which is, hey, lock us in. Here's our plan. And, and guess what? If we don't hit it, we'll step down ourselves. And you want to know, I, it's a rhetorical question because the answer is city staff doesn't want to do it. City staff doesn't want to be locked in and say, hey, you know, I don't, you, I'm going to continue to work and do what I do. And you know what? Their hearts, for the most part, are in the right place. But that's not how the business world works. I want to solve this problem. I don't want to have a feel-good two years. And then the next two-year term, whoever gets voted in my place does the same thing. I want to solve it. How can you defend not forcing staff to sign up for a business plan? Why am I the only one saying this? Because you just like to yell. Well, I like to yell. Yes. We have a framework that you can go in and look at that he is going yeah, to tell framework. you is not a business plan. Garbage. I would argue that it, that it is a business plan. We cannot lock in the specific details of every deal we're going to do because we, again, rely on partners. We have opportunities that arise that we can't predict, we can't foresee, but we know that there are neighborhoods, take note as an example, this is a place where when I moved here in 2004, a lot of my very low income friends who were artists, very starving artists, were able to live in some of these old mill buildings. Now the mill buildings are about the most expensive place you can live, right? All my artist friends moved out of those by 2006, one of them because there was an infestation that no one can quite... Uh, cosign on its existence but they just wanted people out so they could renovate them renovate them and raise the rates that's happening all over the city particularly in like the two three mile circle around uptown and so we've got to look for opportunities and we don't always know when they're going to appear and we don't always know who our partner is going to be or what the cost is going to be we've got to find opportunities to lock in affordability in places that are near transit near good jobs near good schools and that is more expensive and it's not easy to do that for people at that near homeless poverty line level we have to find those opportunities when we can. That is where the biggest need is. But there is a need across the spectrum. And we've got to have, again, a ladder that has housing at each of those levels that people can rise up through. They're not going to go from 30% AMI to 100% AMI. They have to have a way to transition. When you don't commit to what part of the problem you're going to solve, what bite of the elephant you're going to take first, you know what you do? You gravitate towards the low-hanging fruit, the easy stuff. And everyone has gravitated towards the easy stuff, the stuff that the developers in town have figured out how to solve and figured out how to make money on, and that's 50 to 80% AMI units. We're going to keep gravitating towards the things until we make a plan to say, we're going to take the hardest bite of the elephant first. I can't, 
Imagine a world where I go to, hey, Mr. Venture Capitalist, you know, I'm glad you like my business plan. I, kn I know you asked me for a pro forma, and but I'm going to tell you, it was just too hard for me to figure out what things might or might not happen. So I've got a framework. Is that cool for the $50 million? No, that is never going to fly. And this is a very, it's, we joke a lot about it and different things, but I'm going to tell you, this is deadly serious. This is $50 million of hard-earned taxpayer dollars and 21,000 people in crisis right now, of which the vast majority are under 30% AMI. And we're focusing on the wrong things, and we're not willing to make a commitment. All right, we are one more target analogy from everybody glazing over, so we're going to You know, when you, yeah. The, the moral of that story was vote yes for the bonds. They will not raise your taxes, and they are direly needed for I'm not only housing. I'm still recommending you vote yes, but I'm also hoping that everyone in this hold, community— And then hold us accountable. Hold us accountable now, between now and Election Day, by saying, Council, put the plan together. I don't care what the plan says. <laughs> as long as there's a plan, something that people have physically signed up for, that somebody's going to lose their freaking job if it doesn't hit. That's all I'm asking for. You guys can put pressure on that. Let's make sure we all have something to celebrate on Election Day, and that is when this bond passes and we know what the table stakes are of success. Pressure us, please. All right. You've heard enough from just the two of us. Now let's get back to jokes. At each other. Cool. Um, and we'll take any questions on, on any of the city council purview uh, that we discussed or that we didn't at the end, but we do want to bring up – Jania Massey from Stiletto Boss right now. So she can tell us about a lot of – she is a grant recipient of the United Way. And one of the things she and I were talking about offline before we started was the grant process for nonprofits um, and how a, a new, young, or small nonprofit is up against a really big challenge in trying to compete in a world here where we have some really big name, uh, flashy nonprofits that are competing for these same grants. So uh, I'd love for you to get into that a little bit, as well as talk about uh, your background, how you came to start Stiletto Boss, and the work that you're doing in the Charlotte community, uh, and what opportunities and challenges Charlotte presents for someone who wants to do the work you're doing. Hey, y'all. I have my old friends and my new friends over here. How y'all doing? <laughs> um, y'all are awesome. Because I almost spit out You're my awesome. drink like five times. But um, my name is Jania Massey. Um, I would consider myself a lot of things, but community leader stands out the most. And I started a nonprofit organization called Stiletto Boss University, which is about youth entrepreneurship. But it really was a program that I created for my younger self. And a little bit about my background is that I worked in corporate America for 11 years, six months, and two days. Wow. And I count that because it, it all counts. PTO, 401k, all of that. She had like the tick marks on the <laughs> wall in her office. Um, and about in 2013, I felt God was moving me in a different direction. So I got really serious about what it was that I wanted to do for the community. So around 2016, July 19th to be exact, that's when I parted ways with corporate America. And I decided to do this full time. So um, doing it full time for the last two years, two years in July, um, I was able to do a fellowship with another nonprofit called Mama Hope. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but it deals with global sustainability. Well, I was their first U.S. advocate, and I had to raise over $20,000 for what is now Stiletto Boss University. So I was able to do that. Actually, to date, I was doing my numbers because I wanted to, you know, pat my own Did you have that. to have a business plan by, by any chance for <laughs> that? Let's not devolve. <laughs> I'm like, hmm. Yes, um, to date, I have raised almost $45,000 for SBU. So... 
Yeah, it's been a lot of tears. A lot of tears. Some some of my friends over here seen me cry <laughs> several times. But um, like I said, I created a program for my younger self because I had an issue with social capital. And I wanted to show young women sooner that you can create that social capital. You can create that network sooner by using the hook of entrepreneurship. Does that make sense? So how do you train those young people to learn those skills and to have that social capital? So I bring in amazing other people within the community that are either business owners or have a unique skill set, and they come in and they teach a specific topic about entrepreneurship. So if you're great, if you work for Bank of America and you do something with finance, I would ask you to come in and teach the girls about finance. Does that make sense? If you're good with networking, I'll ask you to come in and teach about networking. If you're good with tech, I will ask you to come in and teach about tech. And then we put the whole story together, and then the ladies have created a business. As you started that and as you continue to grow that organization, what challenges do you see in Charlotte? You and I talked a little bit about the grant process, but for folks who might have an idea and might want to make change in their community by starting a nonprofit organization, what did you run up against that you think everybody might run up against? What did you run up against that is maybe Charlotte specific or that we can improve on? Oh, gosh. Do we have enough time? Um, <laughs> so the first thing, as a grassroots organization, I run up that I have to apply for the same grants as larger organizations, which is kind of difficult because if I'm applying for the same type of grant as a crisis assistance ministry or someone that already has established board or already has an established social capital network, then I'm competing against them, but that's not saying that I'm making less of an impact. I'm still building a legacy, but I'm starting from somewhere. So I still need to have a chance, which is why I'm grateful for Unite Unite Charlotte, which is the United Way grant I received, because it gave me some form of capital that I'm able to use to continue to push for my initiative. Because at the end of the day, my vision is on a national and global level. So I have to get there, right? So I need to still be able to apply for the same, or at least have a different tier of grants that we can apply for that is specifically for grassroots. So um, I've, been, I've been involved in the Charlotte uh, nonprofit scene for a long time, launched them. What advice would you give? Because I would assume a lot of our listeners, based on feedback we've gotten, are either part of them or support nonprofits. There's this unique thing in Charlotte where, like, all the nonprofits are, like, huddled in clumps. They work in silos. There's 50 gaps of things that aren't being done all around them. And then four of them are trying to do the exact same thing. They don't partner. There's all this pride of ownership. They could be more together. And then... Uh, somebody described it to me this way, and I, it was just a wonderful example. When some, when one of them, it's like a barrel of crabs. When one of them gets finally like an opportunity or a grant or something, and they're getting pulled out, all the other crabs kind of grab onto them, and it kind of goes up, and then everybody falls back down. I mean, what has your experience been in uh, from that perspective? And what would you say to those that are involved, based on what you've learned, um, are kind of like some tips of how to navigate? Um, I think one of the main tips is um, I had to start with the asset-based approach, which is something that's used in the more holistic sense of nonprofit. And it's basically making sure that you're creating something that the community wants and that the community needs. So before I even officially made my organization a 501c3, I raised the money myself. You know, I really got the community involved and let them know what it was. And I went the fiscal agent route. So if I did have anybody that made a donation, they would be able to make it through another nonprofit that was already a 501c3 and filter the money down to me as needed. So that was the first thing that I did. I raised the money in nine months. 
um, the first 20. I think I raised 22,000 the first nine months. But um, I would also say learn how to collaborate. That's why I have the model of using other community leaders to come in, like really be open to seeing what other people are doing and really be open to really just want to be a part of the, of the cause. Like all of us are not supposed to be Martin Luther King, right? But we have a part, right? How many people was marching with Martin Luther King in Washington? How many people was marching with him in Alabama? It was a lot of people behind him, but he was known as the leader, but it was still other amazing civil rights leaders that we have to recognize and give um, credit to, right? So I think we have to get better as a city <laughs> to uh, collaborate more. You, you need a... <laughs> <laughs> that was a collaboration right there collaboration, collaboration. <laughs> but i think we have to collaborate more and i think we have to be a better voice for the communities that we serve right because communities is not just at risk i hate that word we all have our own silos of community and we all can help each other so please stop saying at risk that's a trigger word for me i don't want to have to fight nobody up in here okay when when we when we ban words which actually the wall street journal article i referenced earlier claimed that we were trying to ban the word millennial we have to offer a synonym so what would the synonym for at risk be i would say a substitute i don't know. see i don't because i feel like that that makes people it makes people feel like they're in need and i feel like it's just i mean we're just people we're just people in, in specific situations that need certain help so i don't know if there's a cool word to say about it but the reality is the reality we're not all the same we're different so I'm not sure what that word would be. Um, but for me, I serve all girls because I've noticed that when I bring in a diverse and have diversity and inclusion in my program, I'm allowing someone that comes from a Myers Park area to relate to somebody in the Greer Heights area. And they both have respect for each other. And there's no racial racial tension or anything like that. Nobody is thinking about what their econ socioeconomic class is. They're just loving on each other. Let, let me I'm going to push back a little bit. But no. know that know that I actually kind of agree with you more. Okay. But this is, I mean, this is, and this is an important part of Larkin and I's show where we we ex, we explore the different. I mean, a lot of people, and I agree, this is the tale of two cities in Charlotte, right? Yeah. And people are really in silos with their own echo chambers talking about it. Part of me understands when I first met Braxton, I re regularly referenced 2016 uh, in the Keith Lamont Scott event as uh, riots. I didn't mean anything by it. I was like, literally, we were all like, yeah, the riots. Yeah, you know. And after we got comfortable with each other, he told me, hey, man, <laughs> that offends me. I don't even like protests. I prefer demonstrations because that's what we were doing, right? And I was like, immediately, I was like, I understand. So I, I, I only say all that to tell you I understand. But at the same time, part of me and, and a lot of the people I represent on my side of the aisle are overly frustrated with how PC this world has become. Instead of getting to the heart of what we actually mean or we're trying to do, we get tripped up on words. Now, there's plenty of people out there that have evil intents with what they're actually saying. But there's, I think, in my opinion, far more that accidentally say things because they don't know. And now we, we focus on the words, and words are important, I get it, rather than the meat of what we were actually trying to say. I mean, do you not see that, that argument also? Yeah, absolutely. But I also feel like just as a woman, I have to be empathetic to both sides. Like I'm hearing you and I'm feeling your passion about it, but I also have to say like, if that offends me, that offends me. Or if I don't agree, I don't agree. And it's no different than you guys were having a healthy debate up here. Y'all both were listening, but you were listening to understand each other's side. And then you made your own decision, right? 
So I think it's just, um, I don't know, I think we get so tripped up off of words or off of how to define things or how things look. And I don't know if that's heightened by social media or I could, is it heightened by social media? But we'll, I mean, we'll go with yes. <laughs> we'll go with yes. But at the same time, we control our narrative, right? So why are we letting social media tell us what we are and who we are? I don't think I don't think we in this uh, in this y'all, room are. Y'all don't have a problem, but, right? Y'all don't but have it's a definitely happening. <laughs> um, you already mentioned if people have something in their skill set that could be valuable to the young ladies that you are mentoring, uh, that they could come to you and be uh, a teacher for a day. Essentially, mm-hmm. what other ways if people want to get involved that are either sitting here in front of you or listening to this later, if they want to get involved with Stiletto Boss uh, website, how do they connect with you, and what are the things that you're looking for besides obviously funding? Yeah. Um, and that's always a need for a nonprofit. How can they be involved? the work you're doing well I think um, I would say my program has been starting a solution for social capital here in Charlotte so actually becoming a business mentor actually sharing the word about the program actually um, are y'all wait wait a minute and I wasn't even in the selfie I wasn't even in the selfie though okay can we do it again already audience is gonna wait, be so confused hold on Boom. say something back there guys hey I'm sorry, you just not go Tar- kick start, me out, Tar- okay? Target started taking selfies she in the middle of that. Selfies. I thought she was mad that I was like not listening to her, but it was actually because she wanted to be in the selfie. That well, makes I sense. Well, w- I was offended. <laughs> right, Where's Braxton you- at? Where's Braxton? I was offended. Um, so becoming a business mentor, of course, um, making a donation, of course, spreading the word, making connections. The girls have a product line. It is called Eight Group. You can buy their products online. So we have created a diverse way for you to where I'm sorry. It is eightgroup.com. Is that the number or spelled out? It's the word eight. It's E I the number eight H T uh, I'm sorry. How do you spell that? <laughs> that let's start with the beginning. W W W. It's on the World yes, Wide Web. W dot the letter Eight. E. Let me let me let me say it. The letter E, <laughs> I, the number eight, H T, then the word group.com. Well, I'm glad we spelled that. I'm glad we spelled it, yeah. Because my I forgot my baby spelled it different. Okay, they're my girls. So that was their unique way. So you can buy their products online and you can follow us at Stiletto Boss University on all social media. And you can Google us because we have a couple of articles out as well. So Targ's the tech expert of the two of us, but I will recommend from my uh, what little technology I do have that you also go buy the number eight group and spelled out eight group for like $20 a month or a year on GoDaddy so yeah. that people will get where they're going. Yeah. Um, I had to do that with, with votelarkin.com. I had to buy because no one can spell my name right. So you buy all the things they might think when they type it in and then it just all sends them to the right place. That's, smart. That's the key. Um, so... If you, anybody in the audience has got questions, we do not have a wireless mic, so we're going to need you to shout out your... No, no, no. Not, come up here. Yeah, they don't need, I'll, I'll repeat the question. They want to be on the podcast. <clears throat> if you want to be on the podcast, you can come up. We'll <laughs> hand you a mic. If you just want to say the question, I can repeat the gist of it. Uh, if you want to direct it to any of the three of us or just throw it up uh, as, a, as a toss to anybody who wants to swing at it, that's fine. Um, and I'm going to put you in charge of deciding who... Who has? Oh, you have a question. I thought you were coming up. I thought you were coming to take charge. I'm offended that you wouldn't let me ask a question. Please ask your. I just thought you seem like such a boss, uh, a stiletto boss, that I just assumed you were coming up to run the show here with the with the questions. No, 
know. I was wondering if you could tell us more about the Innovation Barn and Circular Charlotte, please. Yes, thank you for asking that. If I was going to pay somebody to ask a question, that would have been it, but I didn't. Meet me around back. Yes. <laughs> All right, so I referenced uh, earlier the Green Restaurant Program we rolled out today, which is a, kind of a small little cog in the wheel of what we're trying to do with the circular economy. Charlotte has an opportunity to be on the forefront of something that I think is going to be an emerging industry, an emerging trend in this country, and there's nowhere else. There are places in Europe that are doing stuff like this, but there's nowhere else in the United States that is taking as leading a role as we are in the circular economy. And the circular economy is the idea that we divert waste from heading to the landfill and we find new ways to use it. So this weekend at the Innovation Barn, which is an old city warehouse, more or less, in the Belmont community, not too far from here, we had a, an event where a lot of local designers took things that would have otherwise gone to the landfill, like old rugs or curtains or scraps of fabric, and they created these amazing um, outfits. And then I and the mayor and, and other people modeled those, and they were sold, along with some professional models, modeled all those. They were sold as auction items, and it raised a lot of money for this initiative. But it's going to be a place where almost a business incubator. There's going to be a restaurant component there. It's going to be a place where people can come and see all the different things that can be done to divert things from our waste stream and create new products and, and new um, industries and new businesses. And I think it's going to be transformative. We have got to figure out something to do with our waste. The countries that usually buy our, our trash or buy our recyclables and things like that are not doing it anymore. They can't take anymore. And so if we don't come up with a new strategy, we're going to be in a heap of something. And I think the Innovation Barn is, is a really interesting way for the city to get involved in that effort. And I think part of it is what we're trying to do with the Green Restaurant Program, stop that waste from ever being used in the first place. But inevitably, there's always going to be waste. And what can we do with it? Uh, and we could talk for 30 minutes. There's stuff you can find on the city website that will tell you about a lot of the things that are being done in Europe and, and other parts of the world to divert things and to create new uses and new lives for them as fuel or as fashion or as anything. So it's it's really interesting. I'd be happy to talk to anybody more about it afterwards, but um, search and learn about the, the innovation barn of the city of Charlotte. Now, is this a nonprofit that you have or the city? This is a, The innovation barn is going to be a city initiative, but it's being run by Envision Charlotte, okay. which is a nonprofit organization. So they are our partners in that and spearheading it. Envision Charlotte's a really awesome organization, um, and the city has seeded money into that project through our budget process, but is also going to be focusing a lot of our efforts in everything we do around being more sustainable. He did a wonderful job explaining. I won't add anything else other than on this podcast, we also like to touch into pop culture references. Who here has seen my favorite movie, Idiocracy? All right. Wow. Wow. Seven people. That's a lot. Uh, the Garbage Avalanche of 2550. That's what we're heading towards. And the circular economy is going to solve that. Next question. With a business plan and a pro forma? Exactly. Who launches an innovation barn without? I love it. I love it. I can't wait to see how many of you newly found Republicans we've created tonight. Who's got another question? Come on up here and be part of the podcast. Come on up and say your name into the microphone. We need you in the podcast. Yeah, I'll repeat your yells. Cool. What's your name? Kate. Oh, Kate brought me. I can't see anything back there. Kate that brought me the beer. Yes. How do we hold you accountable? I'm going to let. Angry tweets. That's the most effective. No. 
We're actually going to start doing an angry tweets segment on our show. Um, that is the way that most people try to hold us accountable. It, it doesn't do anything. It's just annoying. And actually, it's kind of amusing sometimes. Well, so the, the literal way that you hold us accountable is you vote us into or out of office. But the fact of the matter is that every elected official from Soil and Water Conservation District to the president doesn't want people they – want, they want to make their constituents happy. They want to do the things that, that the majority of their constituents sent them there to do and want them to do. And you just need to constantly remind people. But there's a productive way to advocate for stuff. If you're emailing people – and, and the thing that we get the most is when there's a land use decision being made around a rezoning, we get blanket emails from people. They send them to every council member and the mayor. They, they CC everybody. And this group of 70 people who's against the rezoning has disseminated this copy and paste thing. And they go, hey, everyone send this to all your council members. And then they all copy and paste and we get the same email 70 times. That is not an effective way to advocate for yourself. Personal stories are a, an effective way to advocate for yourself. Reach out to your district representative. Reach out to the at-large representatives who represent the whole city and the mayor. And do it individually and say, Dear Larkin, here's my experience that, that guides my thinking on this issue. And here's why I feel the way that I feel. And here's how the decision that you're going to make is going to impact me positively or negatively. And here's why I want you to vote the way that I'm asking you to vote. That will make so much more of a difference than 70 people copying and pasting something personal stories still matter and that's why on campaign trail you hear so many people telling personal stories they say when i was on the campaign trail i met sam and sam started a small business and now he sent his two kids to college they tell those personal stories because that's what resonates with people and just yelling at at any of us so, i mean you can still feel free to do it it's a free country but the people who just say i hate you i mean i literally got an email the other day from a guy <laughs> I'm going to have to find mine, too. This was, this was like... I found one for you. Go for it. Angry Tweets. Angry uh, Tweets, R&D, chapter one. edition. Larkin, you're terrible... Wait, wait, you're fine. You were looking for one for me? <laughs> yeah, not for me. <laughs> Larkin, you're a terrible politician, and no I hate how that. bad you sweat. No one said that. I should have voted for Patsy. Hashtag Patsy 2019. No one said that. I made that all up, but... I have a, I have a real one. <laughs> Well, if we got into the emails, we need more time for this. Don't look while he's looking. Here's I think that's a, a probably the most important question that could be asked tonight. How do you hold politicians accountable? I have no idea what the right answer is, but here's an idea. And it goes back to business plans and pro formas. Make us sign up for what it is we're going to do. If we tell you, hey, we're going to do this with police officers. We're going to do this with affordable housing. We're going to do this with stormwater, whatever it is. Too often, politicians are over here as the mouthpieces, just saying what talking points they know. Staff is over here with actually their fingers on the keyboards doing the work, right? And they are the ones who don't want to be signed up for something. So they're not going to do it on their own. The politicians have to require them to. And the only way the politicians are going to require them to is if you guys say, I'm going to hold you accountable by you telling me what it is you're going to do. And I'm going to vote for you next time based on if you, one, did it, signed up for it and said, I'm going to do this, and two, you actually achieved it. Now, we can designate what a stretch goal is or, hey, this is unlikely or this is a moonshot. Or, but it, if I'm asking you for $50 million for affordable housing, which is what we discussed tonight, that, that is table stakes for what we're going to do. We're asking you to make the largest bet on affordable housing in Charlotte's history right now this year. 
You you should be begging us, not begging, I'm sorry, demanding of us that we tell you how many units you're going to get and where they're going to be. I mean, it's it's it, this is not R&D, Republican and Democrat in the QC. This is the least partisan item that I can think of or imagine. This is just basic good business practice. All right, Angry Treats, Chapter 1. Uh, this is actually an angry email, and I'm rolling the dice a little here because I, I sense from the email thread that this person is young and probably lives in this general zip code area. Definitely so I read their I, phone number. I hope you're not here, but uh, if you are... It's a good chance. Sorry, don't, don't be a dick. Larkin will um, fight you. So, <laughs> now we definitely can't use this episode. Um, well, we're using it. All right, so the game here will be, what do you think the topic was? The, the last email I received was, I do not support you, and I have no patience for incompetence and corruption. The topic was... Patsy? The, the, we had a hurricane that knocked a tree down and took oh, out the light rail service. Oh, this like crazy on, on Twitter, so, man. I know so, what it is. So a tree falls because of a hurricane. It takes out the light rail for a week. I was emailing this person to say, hey, I had told you when you first reached out to me that we wouldn't have it back online until Wednesday. Crews have been working around the clock all weekend, and we'll have it back up for your Monday morning commute like two days ago. Thank you for your patience and support during this process. Whatever. <laughs> they write back and accuse, I, I don't know if they're accusing me or staff or who, but of incompetence and corruption because a tree fell down on a line that runs the light rail. So that's the kind of thing that probably isn't going to get you the results that you're looking for. Um, he can be found at, on Twitter at, at Justin Prolific. In case you want to find this guy, I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna name names. Screw that guy. Let's also hope he doesn't. No, I'm just kidding. He had some valid concerns. He just this didn't dude's know gonna how to be like a, a 300 pound like bodybuilder that's gonna walk up that's to us right all, after the show. Yeah, exactly. You know what? Uh, I'm just kidding. So I like him. If if he's listening to the podcast, I I understand your frustration, sir. You just didn't have to necessarily go about it that way. All right, we got. He just called him out. I did not name his name. We got time for I'm two more questions. Names. Next question. Come on. Oh, yes, yes. It's my buddy here, man. Friday morning breakfasts. The Hood Hargit group. Get up here on the microphone. Say your name. Say your question. Come up a little closer so you don't get feedback there. There you go. My name is Alex Haynes. Turn to the audience. This is going to be weird. <laughs> talking to him, so it's weird. Not talking to you. So, Tark, my, my question is for you. You are obviously very passionate about the uh, affordable housing bond coming up on the ballot. But you – so my, my question is basically what is your message to, to people? Why, why would you support it if you're obviously very much um, in, your, in your own mind struggling with it? What, what's, what's your message why we should support that? Uh, great and insightful question because you've read right into me, which is I'm super conflicted right now. And I've been conflicted for several, I've been conflicted my whole life, but I've been conflicted on this for several months. How many days until election, Larkin? 13, 13 days until election. So I've been saying literally for four months, maybe five, as soon as I got into the details and understood, said, we need a plan. Because what one thing that is undeniable to me is there's a crisis. There is a crisis we need to do something. We need to solve something. But if we keep doing what we've been doing, no results are going to change, and the number is just going to keep getting bigger. So we have done part one of two-part formula to, to make an impact. It was let's come out and, and one, put a massive 
record-breaking dollar amount on on the ballot, and 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 two, rally the private sector to do that. Not only are if we approve this bond, are we going to get fifty million dollars? All signs are pointing to the private sector putting another seventy-five million into a match into this. That's a hundred and twenty-five million dollars over the next two, three years that is going to be invested into the affordable housing crisis here. So on one side of the coin, I'm like, holy crap! Like, I mean, you can't miss out on that opportunity. But on the other side, I see typical bureaucracy, the inability to want to sign up for what we're going to do with the money. The, I don't want to be constrained. I don't want to, you know, have somebody measure me or hold me accountable if something changes. So I've been praying over the last several months that my calls would be answered and we would basically put the plan together, not the framework, not the locational policy, not all the things that say we could do this or we could not. What are we going to do? What, and that's the thing I assumed we'd get there. And literally, my, my pleas have fallen on deaf ears. So I'm not giving up on the bond, but I'm saying there's 13 days. Like, let's, let's make a press. And if, if in the next seven days we don't make a press and, and, or, or the press is made and it doesn't look like it's going to happen, I'll probably reevaluate my position on the bond. And I'll decide, am I going to be in favor of them still? Or am I going to be opposed? And if I'm going to be opposed, is it better for me to just be quiet and vote my opposition or say something out loud? And I, I, it's so complicated and it's people's lies, lives we're messing with that makes it really, really challenging. Uh, but great, great question. I have a well, I, have, I need clarity. So if we vote no, can you hear me? Okay. If we vote no for this bond, what will happen to that 50, 50 million? It, it won't be there. Okay, so it'll just be gone. So how many people will that increase when it goes, when we're, when we're talking about homelessness or the amount of people that won't have housing? How many people will that affect if we say no now? Well, and, and to get to the point so we can take one more question before we wrap, I'll make it, it brief. The fact of the matter is if, if your lack of complete satisfaction with the plan or the strategy or the whatever is leading you to vote no, I can tell you exactly how much progress we'll make in the next two years because we will have zero dollars to make it with. So you might not like the progress, but you might not like 100% of what's done with $50 million or $125 million, but I can tell you what will be done with zero dollars is zero. But this is how government works. Zero will happen. That's why I'm so dis disturbed by this, by this option. But the way government works is if you resoundingly say this is what we want and you're not delivering and you say no, you're not getting the $50 million in 2018. Well, guess what? People go back to the drawing board and then they represent a new plan in 2019 or in 2020. And you know what? We don't have time to waste. But at the same time, maybe that's the only way we don't repeat the mistakes of the past and waste more money. I don't so know. tough luck to all the people in the meantime that need housing. Last question. All right, okay. two more questions. So this is kind of, okay, my name is Mia Perry. Um, this is away from the bonds, away from all that. Thank I'm God. focusing more on the school system. Um, I know that we're incorporating a lot of charter schools in our community and not in losing focus, I feel, on a lot of our community schools. Um, not a lot of funding is going to the community, and they're putting more money and more time into 
charter schools. Um, how do you guys feel about that? So one of the things that we try to make a hallmark of this show is that we try to focus on issues that are city issues. And this is not something where we have a lot of purview or a lot of control. But what I will say is um, while the city doesn't do schools, the people on your ballot uh, on elect in 13 days or if you early vote have a lot of, of control over the schools. So the county commissioners who are all on your ballot at large and districts, they're the ones who control the purse strings for CMS's budget. The state house and the state senate who are on your ballot have a lot of control over the school system and their funding and things as well. So I would highly recommend that for county commission, state house and state senate, you dig in, you email those people or tweet those people, not angry tweet, but just like nice tweet and say, hey, what is your stance on charter schools or on the bill that was written um, kind of specifically around Matthews Mint Hill? Ask people those questions. And it's, it's fair. It's not mean to take people to task on votes they've taken or what votes they might take if you send them into office. And those are the people who will make those decisions along with the school board that, that impact that area that you're obviously very passionate about. And while we don't have a lot of control, the people who do are, are right there in front of you on this ballot. The only thing I'd say in addition to that, which I think is right, is, so not to punt the question, but to say there are several parties that are right now playing a high-stakes game of poker and both have legitimate reasons to be playing it, but unfortunately the chips are our children, right? So uh, I'd I just say I think everyone would do better trying to take a page out of the R&D and the QC playbook, which is put down partisan politics, come together, and don't try to strong-arm each other or threaten each other because there's plenty of blame to go around on that front. What's that other question you had right there? So my name is Victoria Watlington um, with the Young Leaders Council. And my question is more general, and it's based on the conversation that you guys did have about the bond. And it sounds like, based on your take, Tark, is that you're in the minority in regards to how your approach to wanting the plan. On all fronts. So, <laughs> right. So my question is, how are you all able to influence each other then to actually get people to see your point of view so it's not so much that we are the only ones able to get council to do things. And I asked that question because I want to understand, based on the things that you said you wanted to do when you went to council, where do you think you found success in influencing your peers? I think Tarek probably illustrated one of the best examples when he talked about just the language that he uses in, in having more conversations with, uh, with Councilman Winston and, and understanding for him to be able to see through Braxton's eyes what went on in 2016, I think changed the way that he views those events and, and talked about those events. I think we all, I mean, if you listen to our podcast, which I highly recommend, um, you guys all better sign up for the podcast. Literally. There, there are times and, and Tark pointed this out the other day and it's, it's true and kind of funny, but neither of us will net, as you can now imagine, neither of us will ever be like, you know what, man? You're right and I'm wrong. But the audience knows. But you who can won. hear it. Like you can you hear know who when one of us is like, <laughs> you know. all right, man, I mean, it, I, but we're like, oh. I guess that's a fair point. Like what that means is like, oh, that was a really good point you made. And I hadn't thought about it that way. That's the best we're ever going to give each other is like, all right, man, I, I see what you're saying. Like that's the nicest we're going to be about that they might have been more right than the other. But I, I, I do think that, and that's why it's important to have a diversity of perspectives. And we do now have in gender race, age, uh, religion, background. There's only one person from Charlotte on Charlotte City Council right now, like native. So we have people from all over the country and all over the world. And I think that's important because 
each one of us brings something to the table that's unique and I think can inform other people's opinions. We're not going to necessarily change their mind. He's Tark's not going to be able to change my mind that the right thing to do is to vote yes on this on this bond. And I don't know that he's even trying to do that, but it's important. I'm trying to get it's important you to that we back cha- me up on this need for a plan. It's important that we challenge each other is the point. And, and we do it, that plenty. And even when you don't change somebody's mind, if you if you challenge somebody in a respectful way, you it strengthens it strengthens their opinion to have to defend it. Does that make sense? If if me or I whatever he's going to bust my chops on, Larkin, the I. Braxton, Justin Harlow, all agreed. The plan is what we need. We have seven days to put it together. Let's do it. That's four people. Out of the 11, all you need to get is six votes. Those four pe- those voices coming together, they could make anything happen. The point is we have to make our de- – and, and Larkin makes a good point. You know, I, if I come out here and say, you know, screw the problem. It's their problem. Let's not do it. Nobody's going to listen to that, and I don't believe that. But if, if we make our case passionately, we, we, we have the debates – we, we maintain a friendship. We disagree agreeably. Yeah, well, most of the time. Um, he sweats a lot. Have I mentioned that? Feels great out here tonight, though. He does. But if literally, if, you, if everyone in this community came together and said, we want a plan or we're going to vote down the bonds, and I am telling you right now, I do not want these bonds voted down. It's too important right now. But I would rather have them voted down than repeat the mistakes of the last four years where $50 million, not 20 or 15 now, goes to 80% AMI and, and developers and the people who don't need it. I mean, they need it long term. But right now, 30% near homeless people need it. I want to see that that is addressed with this money. And I'd almost re- I'm not saying I'm against the bonds at this moment, but I'd rather see us pause for a year and get it right if we're not willing to sign up for how we're going to use it now. To put an end to his ranting, we're going to wrap this. This is a very hot topic from literally today, so that's why I'm extra fired up. You take this microphone. Thank so you. we really Thank appreciate so everybody everybody being here. This is a lot of fun. We'll stay and hang out and uh, have another Noda Colada with you afterwards if you've got any questions that didn't get to get asked. But thank you for being here, and, and thank you for being involved because you're here because you're involved with United Way, and that means that you're engaged in this community. You care about this community, and you want to make a difference, uh, whether it's politically or civically or, or whatever it is that you want to do in our community. Thank you, and tell us how we can help you. Uh, and listen to our show. Subscri- subscribe. It's on iTunes, Spotify, all those other things. It's R ampersand D. We need to get one of these pull-up banners. Um, R&D. Well, here's what Tark will do. He'll take your phone. I'm not giving him the mic. He'll take your phone, he'll subscribe, and he'll rate it five stars. Come talk to Tark, and he'll put it on your phone. Wrap us, please, God. All right. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Alex Carpenter. I am the lead of the programming committee for Young Leaders. Um, I want to thank our council here. We have Jania, Larkin, and Tarek. Uh, we couldn't have done this, obviously, without them. Uh, I'd like to really thank uh, the Noda Company Store for hosting us and New Dominion Bank for being our sponsor. Big shout out to them. So
So uh, I really would love for everyone that is sitting in the room here today to become a member of Young Leaders. It's really, really easy to do. So if you've already had your campaign at work and you have participated in the United Way Giving Campaign, stop by and see us because you might already be eligible to be a member of this fantastic group. Um, if you have not, it's also very easy to go ahead and sign up and give us your contact information. It's a mere $5 a week as membership dues. $20 a month um, in order to be a member. You will get access to lots of free events. Um, you won't have to pay for some that maybe your friends and colleagues that you bring with you may have to. So you will actually recoup the benefits. Plus every dollar that you give goes right back into the community. We use that money to, uh, I'm actually going to have to cheat here, uh, to um, help with poverty, economic development, and uh, the community uh, growth, sorry, distracted by the sirens. Uh, so please make sure that you stop by and see us. And if I can get Emily to come up, we are going to go ahead and do the drawings. And for, before we cut the recording off, for the sake of our listeners, yes. if they want to check it out online, would they do that at uwcentralcarolinas.org? Yes, yes. Wonderful. Please. We're doing the raffle drawing now? Do you want me to do some Alexander Hamilton rap Please. while you do it? As long as you don't mention business plan, you can. <laughs> and to close us out, I've come up with my Hamilton rap. Are you guys ready? You ready? Let me get my mind right here. Here we go. R&D in the QC. I hope you are a fan, but make sure you get your pro forma and business plan. What? Oh! I'm like a lyrical Herman Munster. Who it now?